0: Well, we're teaching the book of Philippians, and I, I, I was laughing this morning. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm loving. I have to, like, wash hardly any shirts for the summer. I, you know, every week I got a T-shirt for this. Uh, but uh, we are teaching uh, really through a series called Joyride. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's, it's been rich for me. Uh, you know, you can know a book of the Bible, or at least you think you know it. And then God takes you through it again, and you see things you've never seen before. Truths that really weren't that critical at the moment now now come alive in us. And I've seen that as we are working through this book. And now we're entering chapter 3, and Paul has wrapped up his teachings on unity. We've been spending the last few weeks about that. Unity is the secret sauce of the gospel, right? We recognize that. It flows along the path of unity. And now he takes his readers into chapter 3. And again, we're just looking over the shoulders of the church at Philippi. It was written to them but yet we, we gain from it. And now we look at, one. I believe, one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture where he talks about something that, that we not only have as believers, but we need to know so that we can help others experience the same thing, and that is he talks about righteousness. In fact, today our key verse is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that God, from God that depends on faith. Surely this morning I would, I would tell you to buckle up because we're going we're gonna to walk into some things that uh, honestly are a bit technical, but yet they are so powerful when we understand it not only to encourage us, but gang, listen, to equip us to help others know our Jesus, to know what he's done for us, to know the path of salvation and the blessing of salvation. So I pray you'll take some notes, engage in this, and let God speak to your heart. So we're going to focus on three principles through, through this message today. And, Truthfully, as I was writing this week, this feels more like something I'd like to sit down with you one-on-one with a cup of coffee and talk about. There's a lot in this, but I hope we can break it down in a way that we all go, yeah, we see that, we want it, and we know what God does through that. We're going to talk about righteousness being our greatest need. We're also going to talk about it being our greatest problem and the greatest gift, but let's start with it as our greatest need. And the reason why it's our greatest need is because on our own, none of us possess it. On our own, none of us possess righteousness. How do you know that? Romans 3.10 makes it very clear, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. How many know what that means? No, not one. It doesn't mean there's exceptions. It says none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, righteousness is one of the most important concepts in the Bible. And the simplest definition I can give you of it is, is right standing with God. You hear it in our vernacular, hey, get right with God. Are you right with God? I, I want to be right with God. What we're saying is we want to be righteous to our God. We want to receive his righteousness in our lives. For without righteousness, we can't walk with God in this life, and we can't spend eternity with him in heaven. It is an absolute necessity for each one of us. But there is more to righteousness than just right standing, although that is the essence of it. Righteousness, and this is where you're going to put your, your, your thinking hat on, let's get into this. Righteousness is a judicial term, <laughs> it's a legal term. Think of it this way. Righteousness is a just God, the result of our God, who is a just God, who is also a just judge, acting judiciously, ruling that a person is faultless, guiltless, innocent, and upright, not based on what they've done, but based on whom they put their faith in. That's righteousness. You see, when any one of us puts our faith in Jesus Christ, and the fact that he died for our sins on the cross, and he rose from the grave out of the tomb, there are a couple things that happen in that moment. There are a couple things that transpire that are, that are absolute critical for the, for the days of our life, for the rest of our life. And that is, number one, we become justified in the sight of our God. We talked about this a little bit last week. In that moment, our sin has been washed away. It's been removed from us. Our sin is gone. No longer does it have impact the way it did before. The Bible says it this way. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Can we say praise God to that? So we've been justified. We've been made as if we had not sinned in his sight. But there's a second thing that happens in that moment that is absolute critical, and that is that we are declared legally righteous by a just and merciful God. It means in that moment, no matter what our past was, it means in that moment, no matter what we've tried to do to somehow please God, in that moment we put our faith in Christ, God declares, you are faultless, you are innocent, you are guiltless, you are upright, Again, not based on anything we've done, but on everything he's done. When I was writing that out, I couldn't help but an old hymn of the church kept going through my mind and it it really brought me back. Today is eight years since my mom went to be with Jesus and she was the church pianist and church organist growing up. And so, how many know when you do that, you know all the hymns if you grew up in the old days, okay? So, but there was one that just kept ringing through my mind and it said, My hope is built. On nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. In other words, I don't put my hope in anything else, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Guys, we have to have the righteousness of our God. We have to be in that place where now he sees no fault in us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, Mike, how can God do that because we're not innocent? How can God do that because we are sinners? I've said it before. On my best day, I fall way short of the glory of God. How does it work? How can that happen? Well, for it to happen, we have to recognize that God has to be just. And as a just God, he has to punish sin or he is not just. I mean, put it in our modern context. Let's say that there's a, a criminal that, is, that, is, that has harmed thousands of innocents. I mean, thousands of innocents. And the judge brings it into court and the, the innocents come and give testimony of, the, of, of what has taken place through this criminal's life. And the judge is ready to rule and he says, You know, in my opinion, it's no big deal. Y'all just all go home. We say, That's not a just judge. We, we don't think he ought to be a judge in that moment because it's so clear what has taken place. Well, God is a just God, but he loved you and I so much. Listen, he loved us so much that he wanted you and I to be free from having to face the penalty and the punishment that our sin so deserved on the cross. So at the cross, he took our unrighteousness, our sinfulness, and he placed it on Jesus and Jesus took it upon himself, that just punishment for our sin, as if he had committed the sins himself. And only by that can we be declared righteous. We put our faith in him. We put our trust in him. Our sins are washed away by the shed blood of Jesus. And that just judge looks at us, and he sees, uh, he sees not us and all of our wickedness and all of our faults and all our failures. He sees his son Jesus, who is perfect, and he says, I declare you are righteous, Because of the righteousness of Jesus there's no greater gift guys. There's no greater need in our life than righteousness He treats us as if we are as righteous as Christ Listen when we were dead in the trespasses of our sin God made us alive through Jesus Christ He forgave us our sins not only did he forgive us our sins, he canceled the record of them for all eternity. Can I tell you, there are a lot of people today that bring with them their past and shame and guilt as if somehow God is still holding that against them. They bring the stories forward. Oh, pastor, you should know what I was like in the old day. I don't want to know. <laughs> Truly, I don't want to know. Nothing you're going to say is going to shock me anymore. But I know this, I know who you are now. You're a blood-bought child of God. You've been cleansed in the stream of His blood. Can I tell you, there is nothing God holds against you, and neither does He bring it up to mind, praise God. You're not going to get to heaven God says, hey, let's talk about 1985. I'll come on a moment here. Man, you were a real jerk back then. Well, yeah, yeah. No, He's not doing that. Because when we're saved, He cancels the record. Say, Mike, how do you know that? Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. He says he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He said it is, when Jesus said it is finished, listen, it didn't mean just his life. He said it is finished and no longer will our sins be held against us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. According to Matthew 12, 36, in the day of judgment, men will give an account of every reckless word they have spoken. Oh, wow, I'm done, right? In the book of Revelation, it goes even further. It says that every evil deed committed by mankind will be brought to mind and written down so that at the final judgment, the lost will be fully aware of why they're being judged. But those of us who put our faith in Jesus will experience neither of those two things. Those of us that put a faith in Jesus, that's why the cross is so amazing. The whole record of charges against us was canceled, not to be brought back up again. Listen, nothing our God could have ever done for us compares to what he did for us through the cross of Calvary and through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why righteousness is our greatest need. But righteousness is also our greatest problem. It's our greatest problem. Listen, guys, we've all sinned. But what keeps people from seeking and knowing and turning to God is not the fact that we've all sinned. What keeps us from seeking and turning to God is either that we, we don't understand righteousness or we've been blinded by our own self-righteousness as if somehow we're good enough or somehow we've done enough. And Paul gives us an example of this in Philippians. Look, before he came to Christ, Paul, Paul tried to rely on everything but Christ. He tried to rely on his heritage, on his good works, his deeds, his religion, but none of those brought him into righteousness. Paul thought that if he was a good person, he would spend eternity with God in heaven. Paul thought if he held up to the law of the religion that he followed, that eternity was his. He thought that he was made righteous with God by his own efforts and his own heritage. But look at what he says in chapter 3. Go back to verse 1. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, let me just pause for a second there. As a pastor, my job is not to just reveal things to you you've never known. It is equally my job to remind you of things you need to keep remembering. And you need to remind yourself over and over and over again. Let me remind you again. It was Martin Luther said it this way. He said, I preach on justification of faith every week because every week my people forget justification of faith. And I think really it's true to us today because we're so works-minded. We're so lifted up. We're so like we can do it, but no, we can't. It's vital that not only are we reminded of the basics, but we got to revel in that truth. So he goes on in verse two, and it takes a weird turn. <laughs> Chapter one, verse three, verse two says, "Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh." Now, Paul was not giving a dissertation on the the habits and behaviors of dogs, okay? That That was not his purpose in this moment. But he was using a metaphor to warn the Philippians about wrong attempts that some religious leaders were coming in behind Paul and trying to persuade the Philippians that their righteousness was not found in Christ alone. It was found in Christ and something else, their works, their rituals, their goodness. In other words, they were undercutting the gospel, say, what's up with the dogs? In biblical times, dogs were scavengers. They are violent. They are out of control. They were living off the trash. In fact, there's a gruesome scene back in 2 Kings chapter 9 where Jezebel, the wicked king, when she was thrown out of the window in judgment, she was eaten by the city dogs. Paul views these false teachers as dogs, not as soft, fluffy, whatever doodle mix you have, okay? It's It's not what he's talking about, but as vicious, even violent creatures. You see what they'd done as these false teachers had come behind him. And they're saying, Paul said you're saved by grace. Uh-uh, there's more. Paul, Paul said, all your righteousness is found in Christ. No, 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 you got to work for that. In fact, they went so far, they were encouraging new believers to go back and fulfill all the Old Testament laws. And in this case, they were insisting on something that just should not be and that it was they were insisting that everyone that came to faith every male that came to faith would go through the ritual of circumcision as an adult male can you imagine the membership class (laughs) so what does it mean to belong to your church to be a member well you need to be saved yeah that's good you need to be baptized in water we believe that you ought to be faithful and support the church financially. You ought to be involved in, you know, involved in membership, serve somewhere. And oh, by the way, guys, you all need to be circumcised. Man, the church should be all women. it just be done. <laughs> it makes no sense. But yet Paul was using such an extreme example here because what was happening is the legalists were promoting something that still gets promoted today, not ritual circumcision, but gospel plus rules. Gospel plus rituals. Gospel plus following a set of guidelines. Instead of receiving grace through, our, through what Christ has done for us, they were saying, no, it's not enough. The grace of the Lord God is not, good, not enough. You need more. In effect, what they were saying is, you can earn grace by keeping the law. But can I tell you, that is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul said it was such heresy. He said, these men that promote this, they're like the vicious dogs out here trying to destroy your life. Listen. We've got to recognize it is not works that lead us to Christ. Romans 3:20 puts it this way: "For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No one, no one's going to stand up before God and pull out a list, say, "Look at all the good I did." Meaningless, purposeless." Philippians 3, Paul goes on. he says, "Listen, guys, we're the circumcision. You don't have to go get circumcised. When we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit does a work in our lives. He cuts the flesh of the heart that says, now no longer are you just guided by your flesh, now you are led by the Spirit, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and not on human effort at all. So Paul gives us his example to prove the, the, the just ridiculous argument that was being held. Look at verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. (laughs) Paul said, like, if we're going to brag, let me brag a little bit, okay? If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, he's setting them off, right? But you know what happens when we start relying on our own self-efforts in order to be right with God? We fall into things like comparison. Well, I'm better than they are. I, I, I give out food at the pantry. I'm better than they are. I can quote more verses. I'm better than they are. I give more. No, comparison, or even worse, competition. I mean, we're going to like who can be the better saint? Who can be the better? None of us can we are children of God saved by his grace. Can I tell you, when we get to heaven, it's not like going to be a subdivision for those that were really saints and like over here, like public housing for those who barely made it. No, we're all going to be in there because we were saved by the same blood, by the same sacrifice, and with the same righteousness God has. We start relying on our own works. We live with insecurity. How good is good enough? You got a bad week? Well, you better start over again because God's going to do something about that. And we get judgmental. We start judging others based on what they do or what they do not do But here he lists his credentials He said circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law Pharisee as the zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless man Paul had it all But when he came face to face with christ, he recognized His self-discipline didn't matter his heritage didn't matter His rule keeping didn't matter. There was nothing in him that made him righteous. There was nothing in him that made him stand in that place of being accepted by God and adopted into his family. There was nothing in him. But yet in his zeal, he convinced himself that he was perfect, that he was following the law and he had a right to be with God. But verse 70 comes around and says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Church, listen. You and I keeping a bunch of rules will never lead us into relationship with Christ. It just won't happen. In fact, we'll despise him. We, we, won't, we won't sing love songs to him. He just becomes a taskmaster. Listen, Paul looks back over his life. He says, look, you got to believe and trust in him. you got to put your faith in him. Because he's the only one that can give you rights. He's the only one that can bring you into relationship with him. So Paul looks back over his life and he realizes that nothing he did led him to knowing Christ and pleasing to God. So now he is so emphatic on wanting the Philippians to know, look, guys, it's not by works. It's not by heritage. You didn't get born in the right family to be part of this. It's not by your ability to keep rules. He was so emphatic about his own efforts in trying to please God were not enough that he thought they would ultimately lead to heaven. He said, no, they are useless. They are as worthless as rubbish. Now I've run into a lot of people they have some really interesting thoughts of why they'll go to heaven someday are you are you going to be in heaven someday with God? Oh yeah yeah of course I am I, I go to church yeah I know the word of God well according to the word of God so do the demons I, I don't cost as much as my neighbor I only sleep with those people I'm committed to. Welcome to modern life. I'm better than my neighbors. I'm good to my dog. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I could go on and on. I've heard them all. And you shake your head and you go, bottom line, look, everybody's got a list. Before I came to Christ, I had my list. Just be better than the next person. You know, we, we, all, have, we all have our lists. but you know, when we get saved, we lay down our lists we say God these are excuses. They are things that mean nothing. They are rubbish before you God There's no way they make us righteous in you I once did some work for a man early in the days of hope when we were just trying to put food on the table And I asked him about his relationship to God and this is what he said to me. He said, oh, don't worry Me and God have an understanding Really? Wow But i'm not standing next to you in a thunderstorm. I what i'm saying, you know, it's just, come on God doesn't cut side deals He said, we all go through the cross. We all go through the blood of Jesus. Oh, we don't go at all. He calls us to himself. Listen, what they're saying is this. He's just saying, look, I choose the path that makes me righteous. Right standing with God. And yet Paul, he got so mm, fired up about this that he used much more colorful language in his description than the modern translators are willing to write in the Bible. In fact, the Greek there in that, that, that word where he says, I'm just going to count it all rubbish. No, that's not the word that was used in the original text. He said this. He said his efforts and works to make himself righteous were literally equivalent to offering God human waste as a proof of his righteousness. It, it was literally saying... <laughs> God, I'm going to offer you something I have produced myself that has no value, and you're going to count that as equal to what Christ did on the cross. You say, Mike, that's disgusting. And Paul would say, exactly. Exactly. Because that's what those religious leaders were doing. Look, anyone who claims they put them, that they have a right relationship with God by, by any other means other than putting their faith in Christ and accepting what he's done on the cross is lost is deceived, has no relationship to God, and is truly living on their works alone. Isaiah put it this way. He said our righteousness, our self-righteousness, is like filthy rags. It's nothing worth bragging about. It's nothing that can change our lives. And that's why we needed God to do for us what we could never do or produce on our own. Because righteousness is our biggest need. It's also our biggest problem. But oh, here's the beauty. It's also the greatest gift. It's also the greatest gift. Go back to verse 8. I indeed, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Church, there's no greater gift than the gift of righteousness. There is no salvation without righteousness. There's no right standing with God without righteousness. There's no heaven without righteousness. It is the greatest gift that can ever be given to us, and it results from knowing Christ. And it's how we know Christ. You say, well, how do I receive that gift? Let me read verse 9 again, but let me read it out of a little different translation, New Living Translation, just makes it a little clearer. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. That's where repentance comes in. God, I'm sorry that I've been doing life my own way. God, I'm sorry I thought that my way was better than your way, God. God, I'm sorry I thought I was wiser than you, God. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. How are we saved? By grace through faith. Not of works. It's a gift of God. If it was the worst, we'd boast about it. But no, it's a gift to us. And it's all right there. It's all in this moment. He says, look, not by obeying the law, would you become righteous? We become righteous by putting our faith in Christ. i got to believe that one second in heaven, we're going to stand in awe because that which we think we understand now, we will truly understand it then. And I think we'll do nothing more but break out and worship on God, it was better than we thought not heaven what you did for us god was better than what we thought it was greater than what we thought it was more magnificent than what we thought god there was no why do we ever think we could do it on our own god the lord you gave us everything i'll say it again you can't earn your salvation we cannot earn righteousness we cannot earn right standing with god so the only question we can really answer today is have you put your faith in christ have you put your faith in christ it's not oh have you put your faith in christ or are you willing to jump through these these loopholes and these classes and these studies and these no have you put your faith in christ in him alone you see jesus came to give his life for us so that we can have life in him You, you may have been trying to earn your spot guys i i've told you before i was the i was the preacher's best person in the church not because I lived well, because I repented every... I was so much into works so every week I thought, well, blew it again. I might as well go down and start over again. Why? Because it took me a long time to finally hear someone teach on grace where I'm like, oh my goodness, really? It's all in what he did and not what I do? Talk about revelation. I was at camp. We talked about camp today. When I heard that as a, as a teenager, I remember going, what? <laughs> Where's this been? I look at my youth pastor like, dude, what's up? I haven't heard grace ever. It was all about us, but it's not about us. Listen, maybe you're trying to earn your way. Maybe you're trying to get there on your own. Stop. You know why I'm saying stop? Because the weight of sin you are carrying will ultimately break you. It will ultimately break you. But you don't have to carry that burden any longer. Jesus already did it. He already did it for us. And he you can never do it. He took the weight of his sin upon himself and, and received punishment that brought us peace through forgiveness and now gives that to us. And now, according to John the Revelator, in Revelation 3:20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I love it and eat with him and he with me. In other words, Jesus just does not only want to just save your life, he wants Wants to do life with you and that's the work of the holy spirit But it all begins by faith It all begins by opening the door No one else can do that for you I've shared it before I've had people say "Oh, well, i'm saved because my grandma prayed for me Well i'm glad your grandma prayed for you but no you're saved because you opened the door You open the door You say well why doesn't god just do that for us Because he gave us this amazing thing called a free will And you can reject God or you can receive God. But either way, to reject Him, you're ignoring the knock, knock, knock. And I got to believe till you take your last breath, He's going to keep knocking and knocking and knocking say, Mike, how do you have that confidence? Because the word of God says he would that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Listen, he didn't make heaven in the future or eternity for an exclusive bunch. He wanted everybody to be there, but not everybody's going to be there because you got to only come through the blood of Jesus. He's knocking and he's knocking. You begin by believing that what he did on the cross was for you. That's when I got saved. I never will forget it. All these teachings were coming together. I was a good religious boy from a good, good, a, good, a good godly family. My parents were amazing. But I remember sitting in church one night, couldn't tell you what the preachers, I know, we like to believe you hear every word we say, I get it. <laughs> couldn't tell you what he's preaching on. But we had a cross right there over the old baptismal. And it was, as, it was as if God took me out of that audience, pulled me in front of the cross, said, you need to get this, this was for you. This was for you. And that night's when I got on my knees and I gave my heart to Christ and said, never going back. I'm never going back, God, because I've received what you've done for me. And I believe not only he died on the cross, but he rose from the grave. And with my mouth, you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that moment, the word says, the righteousness of Christ becomes yours. Your account has been cleared out. And Jesus said, oh, by the way, I'm taking my account, and I'm putting it in your account now. So when God looks at you, guess what he's going to see? me and god loves his son and god loves you but you got to decide romans ten thirteen says this whoever calls on the name of the lord will be what help me out saved. saved have you called on him do you have that date oh i don't think you have to remember the date and the time and all that as your as your memory you starts losing over time trust me you'll forget the date but you have to have the experience you have to be able to say this i know I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This I know. I confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart, that not only did he die on the cross and rise from the grave, but I confess him as my Lord. Now, I, I, I know the rest of your days you're going to spend, spend walking in this life. There's going to be times where you're trying to be Lord, but he's got to be Lord. It's just part of that. that natural thing we go through, but that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, because he's bringing us back to the truth. And that's why it's so clear in 1 John. Look, it doesn't mean when you're righteous you don't sin. But First John says, but when we sin, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.